mention quantum computing and we get immersed in discussions around optimization, cryptography, and research. There's also growing speculation on how quantum technology will alter the information security landscape. Now, to help us better understand where com quantum computing is today and what CIOs need to consider as the technology continues to evolve is Mr. Scott Crowder, Vice President, Quantum Adoption, IBM. Scott, welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you for having me. Define for us, if you will, what quantum computing is and how is it different from other terminologies like high-performance computing and supercomputers? Sure. So quantum computing or quantum information science is a completely different information science than what we've been doing for the past, oh, since we've been counting chickens and caves. Um, it leverages quantum mechanics to do computation. So it, it leverages uh, the principle of superposition explicitly in quantum mechanics in order to do math in a very different way. In order to do that, you're leveraging something called a qubit, which basically is a a bit that holds information, but it holds information in its quantum state as opposed to its classical state. That allows you to do things in a very, very different way. What are some of the recent developments in quantum computing? And you know, we always have to ask that question. When will quantum computing be a viable commercial app technology? Yeah, so quantum computers today are just on the edge of being able to do something better than what you can do on a classical computer. We're really just on the early, early stages of quantum computing being at all useful for doing a computation um, that you can't do easily on a classical computer. A few months ago, IBM published a paper in Nature, basically that we proved that quantum computers can be useful or have utility in doing a computation that is something that is hard for a classical computer to do but has some value. In this particular case, it was a, a physics calculation, but the details aren't important. What's important is that if you look at where we've come over the last five, six years, we've gone from the point where quantum computers really didn't exist for anybody other than if you had a research lab in a few places around the world. About now seven years ago, we put the first quantum computer on the cloud. And before that, there really was no such thing as a quantum developer. But over the last seven years, we're now at the point where Hundreds of thousands of people have programmed real uh, software to run on real quantum computers. And we're right at the cusp now of people being able to do something useful with those quantum computers. Now, when it will become viable from a commercial perspective is probably sometime this decade. And those who are more aggressive would say by the middle of this decade. Those that are less aggressive would say by the end of this decade. But we're right now in the point where people can debate whether quantum computers are big enough and good enough to be better than classical. That'll be true for the next couple of years or so. But eventually, the gap between quantum and classical will become larger and larger and larger, and it won't be a debate anymore. My personal opinion is that sometime in the 2025-2026 range is when you're going to start seeing the first example of somebody either, you know, in a research institution uh, or a national lab or a bank or life sciences company demonstrating that they did something on a quantum computer that has real business value or real societal value that they couldn't do on a regular old computer. Um, I think before that, you're going to start seeing a lot more papers coming out this year and next year, more from a scientific point of view, that you know people have demonstrated new use cases that they think has an advantage to running on a quantum computer. 
but probably a couple more years after that before it becomes really applicable to production type use cases, whether it be in science or whether it be in business. Well, a couple of years from now, it's just how will quantum computing reshape the technology <laughs> industry? Yeah, so we think about the you know quantum computers are not better classical computers. They they really are leveraging quantum mechanics to do the computation in a completely different way, right? So there's certain kinds of math that quantum computers have been proven to be better at than classical computers, uh, and there's a whole bunch of kinds of math that classical computers are always going to be better than quantum computers at. So to understand how it's going to impact society and business, et cetera, et cetera, you need to understand what kinds of math quantum computers are going to be good at. Three basic types of math that quantum computers have been proven on a blackboard to be theoretically better than classical. One of them is around simulating nature. Those are things like simulating high-energy physics, simulating chemistry, simulating materials properties, things like that. So you can think of all sorts of things that fall into that category, whether it be developing better batteries, whether it be better drugs, whether it be stronger and lighter airplane wings, you know, anything that has to do with simulating nature and simulating materials. The second kind of math that people have proven that quantum computers will eventually be better at than classical computers is finding data patterns in data that has complex structure. And that has applicability to things like, you know, machine learning, that we're trying to classify, is this fraud or not fraud? Um, or is this particular medicine going to be effective or not effective for a particular patient? So there's lots of examples like I just gave there, like in banking, having better fraud uh, detection, uh, or, you know, in healthcare life sciences, understanding with sparse data whether or not a particular treatment is going to be more effective, you know, given what's in an electronic health record for a particular patient um, and things like that. The other thing that's interesting is this guy named Peter Shore in the mid 90s, you know, had this like spark of innovation and said, you know, if I look at factoring, which is A times B equals C, that may sound trivial, like A times B is trivial for a regular computer to do. But going the other direction, if I give you a big number C asking you, you know, what are the two largest prime numbers A and B you need to multiply together to get C, that actually classical computers are really bad at. But Peter Shore came up with an idea like, there's structure in that problem. And if I use a quantum computer, I can leverage the kinds of math that quantum computers are better at to do that much more effectively. The reason why people are so concerned about that is that that factoring math and math like it, classical computers are really bad at. And there's actually a good side of the fact that classical computers are bad at certain kinds of math because all our cryptography is based on the fact there's certain kinds of math that computers are bad at. And factoring and elliptical curving, stuff like that, is one of them. And most of our digital economy is based on cryptography that uses that math. So when this guy Peter Schur came up with his algorithm that said quantum computers eventually, when they get really, really big, are going to be able to do things that would take billions of years on a classical computer in the matter of hours or days on a quantum computer, it got people really nervous, rightly so, because most of our digital economy is based on the cryptography of factoring. So that ties into this, you know, the second theme around quantum computing is, you know, within the next decade or two, quantum computers are going to get big enough that we need to change a lot of our cybersecurity algorithms in order to not have them be broken by quantum computers in the future. So hopefully that gives you a feel for like the positive impact that quantum computing will have, but also what we need to be careful about going forward and being prepared for in terms of updating our cybersecurity algorithms to not have them be vulnerable to quantum computers in the future. So just to clarify with you, the concerns around quantum computing and its impact on cybersecurity is real. 
It is definitely real. Quantum computers today are not big enough. They're not good enough based on all the information that I have to break today's uh, cryptography. But if we continue to progress them over the next decade, uh, different people have different opinions on when. But if you look at places that you know have much better view of the realities of world bad actors than I personally do, you'll see that you know most of them are saying by the early 2030s, like 2032, that we really need to have all of our cryptography updated to quantum safe cryptography. Um, and to be a little bit more explicit, it's really the asymmetric cryptography. So it's the cryptography where I'm going to share my key with you. So I'm going to share the key to my lock with you and I need to send it to you so that you have it. And then once we both have it, then we can you know decrypt messages that we send back and forth. But if I can basically break the encryption on the key that I'm sending to you and I can get control of that key, then I can decrypt all this all this data. That's the concern. So it's things like RSA that are at risk. And it's key exchange, it's digital signatures. So when you basically electronically verify that you've signed a document, whether you know a legal document or a financial transaction or whatever kind of digital signature that you're doing, the cryptography that you use for that is also vulnerable to quantum computers. So all those things need to get updated and changed. The good news is that really smart people, like people at IBM Research in Zurich, you know, have come up with math that both quantum computers and classical computers both are bad at. So there are types of math that can be used for quantum-safe cryptography. That's the good news. The also good news is places like NIST have started over the last seven years also having people submit new algorithms, new cryptographic standards that they're testing and are basically released to finalists already and are expected to release a standard you know, in the next six to nine months. So that's the good news. The bad news is once that standard exists, which the math behind it does, we're going to have to go in and change all the cryptography we've got today. And that's kind of like a Y2K-ish kind of problem. We need to go in, find all the cryptography that we've got that needs to get changed and go in and change all of it. And it's a logistics problem. It's a problem with finding all that inf- all the deployments, going in and changing it, verify that it's changed and all that kind of stuff. So that's the challenge that the IT industry or digital economy is going to have over the next, over the next decade. And depending on who you talk to, some people don't think you really have a decade because they're afraid bad bad actors are are basically sniffing the wire and taking all the data today and going to decrypt it later. So every day that you don't move to quantum-safe cryptography is another day that somebody might be taking your data and holding it so they can decrypt it later. For some types of applications, that doesn't matter, right? Ten years from now, if they decrypt the data, either because using tokens or whatever, you know, it's not a big deal. But for a lot of kinds of data or a lot of long-lived, you know, IT platforms, that's a big deal, right? You you can imagine national governments are really concerned about this because they don't want, like, their information today being decrypted 10 years ago, they have a longer period of time, but also it applies for health records, et cetera, et cetera. If you're a, you know, a telco and you're putting out the next gen platforms, you don't want to have something that's in the field for 10 years vulnerable. So you want to have it quantum safe, you know, from day one when you roll it out, like, you know, in the next year or two. So those are the kind of things that people are starting to think about around quantum safe cryptography. Well, at the same time, you know, people are starting to think about what are the benefits what are the applications that the kinds of math that quantum computing is going to be good at? You know, can I use quantum computing to have benefits? So that's kind of like the yin and yang of quantum computing. Setting aside what governments and industry bodies like NIST are doing in order to get us to where we might have a viable application for quantum computing, what should companies 
in the present do to prepare themselves for this quantum future today? I think, you know, just like, you know, AI or any other technology, the companies that can leverage it early are going to obviously have a first mover advantage. And I think it's the first step is, you know, understanding enough about quantum computing to understand what are their unsolved problems today or, or problems where if they could do a better computation, um, it's worth a lot of money to them or it's worth a lot of societal impact. So but I give fraud as an example, right? So if I can you know, improve my fraud detection or reduce my uh, false positives significantly, you know, is that of significant value to me as, as a company? Uh, if so, yes, understanding, you know, how quantum computing can be applied to that problem, how it fits into your workflow, et cetera, et cetera. You know, similar examples around, like I gave the example of materials properties, you know, in various industries, whether it be health life sciences industries or chemical companies, materials companies, transportation companies around batteries, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the first step there is to understand what quantum computing is and then to have some small team that understands the, the math and the algorithms underneath it to understand how it applies to your problems of of interest, right? So we're working with uh, a whole bunch of companies across the, you know multiple industries to do just that. On the CISO and CIO side for the the transformation of of cybersecurity, again, I think it's understanding what needs to get updated, starting to build a, a cryptographic bill of materials so you understand what the transformation is going to take, so that when the standards get released next year, you have a plan in place to you know, understand how you're going to make that transition. What what tooling do you need? What do you you need to require for your IT vendors in terms of them using quantum safe cryptography. I think it's, you know, preparation for understanding what you need to transform and understanding, you know, the architecture behind how you're going to transform it. Some people use the word crypto agility and because this transformation is looming and it's coming, you might as well do it in a way that makes it easier to do the, the next implementation of new crypto standards. Um, so that's why sometimes quantum safe cryptography is tied also to the, the concept of crypto agility in that way. So I think it's the, the two sides of this are one is you know, understanding a little bit about the algorithms and the applications of quantum computing so you can see whether this is going to have a near-term impact to your business and, and how do you get started implementing it. And then on the cybersecurity side, it's understanding your bill of materials to understand how large of a transformation you're going to have to have um, and starting to think about the architecture of how you're going to do that transformation. So beyond working with the CISO in the security side of the company, should CIOs start to include quantum computing in their technology roadmap, and if not now, when? And what conditions or events would warrant its inclusion? I think they should, at the very least, understand the technology so they can understand the impact it's going to have on the business. I mean, the CIOs, you know, and sometimes there's you know, independent uh, innovation officers, but typically it's part of the CIO's office. You know, CTOs are tightly aligned to that. Really are seen as like agents of change in a lot of industries now because I think people understand from a digital transformation point of view that a, a lot of different industries are really IT companies that are providing, you know, verticals, you know, banking, et cetera, et cetera. You can think of it that way. So understanding this you know, new computational technology and what it's good for and how it could potentially disrupt the industry, I think is really critical for CIOs to understand. And then for those where we've worked with, you know, it's, it's really about putting in place a plan for these are the applications that we've identified that we've demonstrated in small proof of concepts, you know, has 
potential value? Uh, and how do I start piloting those and prototyping those and understanding how it impacts the workflow? So in by the middle of this decade, which says you're pointed out isn't really that far away, how this technology, I can leverage this technology to help my business. Scott, thank you for joining us on Podcast for Future CIO. Oh, it's been my pleasure. That was Scott Crowder, Vice President, Quantum Adoption for IBM, on the topic of planning for quantum computing today. You are listening to Podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcast for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcast for Future CIO. Bye for now. Thank you.